Hey everyone, quick plug before we get started on this episode during the whole lockdown, we pivoted our entire business to digital and as a result, we were able to create three online courses based on each of my books, The Focus Effect, The Ripple Effect, and Rest, Refocus, Recharge. So if you want a deep dive into any of those topics which help you get better, healthier, perform to your potential, then check out wellsperformance.com forward slash virtual dash training dash zone. So that's wellsperformance.com forward slash virtual dash training dash zone. And you can check out all of those courses. Thanks so much. And let's get into this episode. here and just wanted to share with you some of the uh, incredible things that have been happening recently around questions and answers in the sessions that I've been running virtually. So uh, funny enough, one of the interesting things that happens when you're doing virtual sessions uh, is that there's way more questions than I would ever normally get if I was doing a live presentation. And I've actually accumulated a massive number of questions from people. So I'm just going to go through them and answer them. Uh, I think this could be a really fun, actually three sessions recently and all three different groups sent me in questions. So I combined them all and I'm just going to go through them uh, one by one and see what happens. I think this could be really fun and super interesting and we're going to do it rapid fire. Uh, we're just going to, we're just going to go. We're just going to answer some questions. That's what we're going to do today. So first question. If you work out first thing in the morning, what do you recommend eating beforehand? So pretty fascinating stuff here. A couple of nuances to this, I think, which are interesting. First of all, if we consider what happens overnight, you're not eating for, you know, anywhere from four, five, six, seven, eight hours, depending on how long you're sleeping for. So your blood sugar will be relatively low when you wake up naturally. So it kind of depends upon the workout that you're doing. If you're doing yoga, then I recommend not eating. If you're gonna go do some weights, then you can probably get away with eating a little bit, uh, probably a combination of a little bit of carbohydrate, a little bit of protein, not very much, like a little snack. Similarly, if you're gonna go do a cardio workout like walking, that's fairly easy, I think you, like yoga, I think you could get away with probably not eating too much. Whereas if you're gonna go for a longer session, like on a weekend, for example, let's say you're gonna go for a three hour bike ride, then for sure you wanna be fueling before that, probably with some carbohydrates, a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat. So um, not a lot, like I don't want you eating a whole ton of breakfast, for example, but I do think that having a little bit of fuel on board, if you're gonna do a longer or more intense workout makes sense. Uh, and not eating very much at all. If you're going to do a lighter cardio workout or especially a yoga session, it's best to do on an empty stomach. If you want more information, however, on sports nutrition in general, what to eat before, during, and after your workouts, uh, just message me on LinkedIn or DM me on Instagram or something and just say, Greg, need your sports nutrition white paper because we have a white paper for uh, everybody on that, that we created at Wells performance. So again, just DM me, say sports nutrition, white paper, and I'll flip that over to you and you can take a look at it. Cause it's super detailed. Next question. Uh, how should we think about meals and sleep and timing? EG, how close to sleep is it recommended to finish a meal and snack? So in general on that one is I do think that we should be giving our bodies 
and especially our digestive system, a chance to recover and to regenerate and to digest food and basically have a period of time during the day to reset and recharge. So uh, one of the easiest ways I think that we can improve our health and well-being overall is to avoid the, the snacking in the evening after dinner is over so that we extend the amount of time between when we finish dinner and start breakfast the next day. That gives your digestive system a chance to recover and to regenerate. And there's all sorts of very cool research that shows that if you can get to a, a 12 and 12 pattern, so eating for 12 hours and not eating for 12 hours, so, um, that you get probably about a 30 to 50% reduction in inflammatory markers if you can do that for an extended period of time. That research was originally done in people fasting for Ramadan. And so, uh, and that evolved into intermittent fasting, but I think you can get 80 to 90% of the benefits of intermittent fasting just by getting to 12 and 12, which means don't snack in the evenings. Now, the exceptions to that rule are people who are actually training for a specific event. So if you are a high performance athlete training for the Olympics, training for you know, high performance sports, then an evening snack that has some carbohydrate in it might be good if you're depleted from the day. And some protein might be good in the evenings because um, some protein later in the afternoons and evenings has been shown to increase uh, muscle synthesis and, and the growth of new muscle tissue. So if you're a high performance athlete, the evening snack makes a little bit of sense. Uh, if you are not a high performance athlete, then we want to have dinner and then stop eating. Um, if you're really struggling for sleep, you might want to consider a little carbohydrate snack later in the evening before you fall asleep to spark tryptophan, a neurotransmitter uh, release in the brain, which might help you to sleep and calm down a little bit. Uh, but you wanna be very careful of that if you're trying to optimize your body composition. So uh, just a few nuances on all of that. And we're starting to dig really deep into the, 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 the details on all of this material. So pretty exciting that we're, um, uh, we're able to go there. If you wanted to learn more, about intermittent fasting and explore that in further detail. I actually think the best resource for that uh, online, if you search intermittent fasting, Dr. John Berardi, B-E-R-A-R-D-I and precision nutrition, uh, Dr. Berardi published an entire chapter in massive detail all about intermittent fasting, which I think is frankly the best evidence-based uh, resource on the web. If you can't find that again, just DM me on Instagram or LinkedIn and I'll um, give that link to you. But if you just search intermittent fasting, Dr. John Berardi precision nutrition chapter, you'll find that chapter with all sorts of details all about that. All right. How important is consistency in times that you eat your meals, i.e. at dinner at 6 p.m. one night and 8 p.m. the next night? I think in general, the human body responds extremely well to consistency. And that goes especially in terms of your meal timing and also in terms of when you work out and also in terms of when you try to fall asleep every night. The body wants to know when it's supposed to be digesting food, you know, all sorts of processes involved with that. The body wants to know when it's going to be exercising. Again, we want to be creating the internal chemistry to prepare ourselves for working out. Similarly, it wants to know when it's falling asleep in the evenings. Therefore, uh, being consistent with your exercise, nutrition, and sleep can make it very easy for your body to know on, from a circadian rhythm perspective what to do when in terms of creating the internal chemistry that sets us up for success 
uh, in each of those different areas. So we want to know when to release melatonin so that you can fall asleep and stay asleep. We want to be know we want to know when to release cortisol and adrenaline so we can get ready for those great workouts that you want to do. That's that exciting spin class that you want to do or whatever it happens to be. Similarly, um, the body wants to know when to shift blood from your muscles into your digestive tract so it can pick up the vitamins and minerals and nutrients from the foods that you just ate. So again, consistency matters a lot. Not to say that you know once in a while you can't go out for a late dinner on a weekend. Uh, someday, you know, if we're ever able to uh, to go out for for meals again. I'm recording this during COVID time, just in case anyone's wondering why I said that. Um, and we have people from all across the country uh, listening in on these sorts of things. So there's different rules in different places. So anyway, that's the context for all that. Consistency is great. Uh, next question. Do, 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 do Lemon juice and apple cider vinegar once a day or once a week. Um, so let's just sort of take those separately. So in general, I think hydration all the time. So when we want to be healthier, one of the fastest ways to do that, one of the easiest ways to do that is just to get hydrated and stay hydrated. If you want to add some lemon juice to your water, that's fantastic. Lemon juice, lime juice, orange juice, like fresh squeezed um, citrus fruits, fantastic. Lots of little minerals and vitamins, especially vitamin C. So I'm a big fan of all of that. Um, apple cider vinegar, you know, it's quite popular. I've looked for research on the health benefits of apple cider vinegar. I'm not, I'm not sure about, about that, to be honest. So if you, if you like it and you want to have a shot of apple cider vinegar from once, once in a while, go for it. But, um, I'm neither here nor there on that. The whole idea that you can, um, change the pH in your body, like the acidity or like low acid foods or high acid foods or, um, I just don't think that, that, that there's anything there really as a, as a respiratory physiologist, I know that you're the acid base balance in your body is controlled by your breathing. It's extremely tightly controlled. Even a couple breaths changes your pH exercise changes the, the pH of the acidity inside your body, eating foods that change the acidity of your body and your tissues that people talk about. Like, I, I just don't, I don't think that that's that, that actually does anything to be completely honest when it comes to actually change. I don't think eating different types of foods changes the acidity of your tissues. I do, however, think that most of the foods that are recommended for people to improve the acid-based balance of the body are extraordinarily healthy foods that have all sorts of health benefits. I just don't think they change your pH. So you should probably eat all of those foods that people recommend when they're talking about, you know, lowering the pH of your body and making, or sorry, uh, increasing the pH of your body and making your, your, your body more basic, getting it away from acidity. Uh, I think that um, those foods are really awesome for you. They just don't change the acidity of your body. So I'm a big fan of lemon juice and water, apple cider vinegar. I don't use that much. Um, I like having water with various different types of uh, citrus fruit squeezed in uh, all the time. So that's my take on that one. Uh, next question. What's your opinion about taking vitamins such as vitamin D, C, B12, or multivitamins? The evidence for taking vitamin D is very strong, especially in Northern hemisphere where you may not be getting a lot of sunlight. Uh, the link between vitamin D and cancer is quite compelling. Therefore, yes, I'm a fan of vitamin D supplementation. We do that as a family. Um, vitamin C supplementation. I'm not as much of a fan of that. I think citrus fruits are where to get your vitamin C. And I, I'm in general, always a fan of real food instead of supplements. There's lots of evidence that shows that getting your vitamins and minerals from real foods 
is much more effective than getting it from supplements. So just consider that overall. I do think there's research from the Cochrane reviews, which are independent reviews of the research that shows that vitamin C and zinc shorten the duration of colds and flus and improve the function of your immune system. And in this COVID era, that's become more important than ever. So if you want to uh, consider increasing the vitamin C and zinc in your diet to improve your immune system, that's probably not a bad idea. Uh, vitamin B12 is incredibly important and related to stress, uh, your, your body's ability to manage stress. So if you want to look for, uh, to make sure that your B12 levels are up, that's a great idea. I had my B12 test a while ago, it was very low, primarily because I eat mostly plants. So I wasn't getting enough B12 from my diet. So I supplement with B12 now. Uh, multivitamins are usually pretty poor uh, in their composition, just you know, off the shelf multivitamins. So the only, type of supplement that I use when it comes to vitamins and minerals is a product called Living Fuel. I don't get paid by Living Fuel. I'm not sponsored by Living Fuel. Um, I know Casey Creature, the owner, and I trust the, the, the product and have been using it for about 10 years. And I use Living Fuel Superberry Ultimate to make sure I have every vitamin mineral I need. However, once again, the foundation for great nutrition is eat real food eat the rainbow of plants and vegetables, eat as organic as you can afford, eat as little processed foods as possible. And that's the foundation. You can't outrun um, a bad diet. And if you have a bad diet and you take supplements, you're going to end up with expensive urine. That's literally, if you have a bad diet and you're supplementing, it's not going to help you at all. If you have a good diet and you supplement, I think it actually can make a bit of a difference for you. Uh, do, 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 do. What's your best advice to get stubborn spouses who eat poorly to get on board with eating healthy. Uh, my advice on that one is pull, don't push. If you push anyone, they will resist you. Therefore, you do you, you do your own thing, you eat healthy, you get the energy, you work out, you do the meditation, you do the great sleeping routines. Uh, and eventually, if you put absolutely no pressure on them whatsoever, they will probably look at you and be like, hmm, maybe I should try that. And they'll come along for the journey. So it's pull, don't push. You do you, and you'll be totally fine. The second that you push other people to try to do anything when it comes to health and well-being, they will uh, push right back and become even more entrenched. So um, you worry about you. You get healthy, and you enjoy your life, and you do absolutely fantastic. And when they're ready, they'll come along for the journey as well. Next question, thoughts on eating for your blood type. Uh, total BS. There was a, um, that, that was explored at the University of Toronto Faculty of Nutrition, studied about, see whether or not that, that eating strategy um, had, there was anything to it. The researchers determined there was absolutely nothing to that research that was, or sorry, that book that was written about eating to your blood type was basically just a total fallacy. It was just like nothing there whatsoever. Um, however, having said that, all four blood type diets that they proposed were better than the standard North American diet. So you could literally flip a coin, pick any of them, and you'd probably be better off than eating the standard North American diet, which is processed foods and you know all that other stuff. So um, nothing to that one whatsoever. I'll, get, I'll say it again, eat as many plants as you can, eat the rainbow of fruits and vegetables, eat organic meats, eat wild fish, uh, nothing processed, and you will get 99% of the benefits. Basically looking for 
a plant-based Mediterranean style of eating, um, balanced, some carbs, some protein, some healthy fats, uh, lots of fiber, right? Like, and it's not, this is not rocket science. Your grandmother could tell you everything you needed to know about all that sort of stuff. Humans are the only animal on the planet that needs a food guide to tell them what to eat, right? Like if it's a box, you probably shouldn't be eating it. Anyway, um, does having a heavy breakfast, light lunch, and even lighter dinner still work? What about odd snacks during the day? So I would just around all of this, like meal timing, five meals a day, three meals a day, one meal a day, intermittent fasting, whatever you want to do. What I would encourage you to think about is again, eat a lot of plants, eat the rainbow of veggies, eat or as organic as you can afford wild meats, sorry, organic meat, wild fish. That's the, the general strategy. Then you can experiment with meal timing. And the way to do that is you want to take a look at your energy levels during the course of the day. And if you feel energized at a certain time during the day, that's probably your circadian rhythms, but it might also be like, did you do a workout before that? What did you eat before that? Um, if you feel sluggish at a certain time during the day, is it because you've been sitting for a long time? What did you eat an hour or two before that time that you typically feel sluggish? And then use yourself as a laboratory to figure out what you should be eating when so that you have great energy all the time. So if you're super sluggish, work your way backwards from that and think about what you ate leading into that moment when you felt sluggish and then make some changes there to improve your energy. And that will lead you to, am I eating five small meals a day? Um, you know, front loading your nutrition earlier in the day or back ending it. It, it, it depends on you as an individual. So use yourself as a laboratory to figure that one out. And there's many different strategies that work for many different people. And, and you may actually change over time as well, depending on age and all sorts of other factors. So use yourself as a laboratory and you'll figure that one out. Um, keeping a journal of your energy levels and meals for a few weeks will help you to tweak that. You'll see patterns when you journal about it. So that would, that'll help you out as well. How do you maintain a high metabolic rate so you can eat on average more calories and maintain a healthy body? So basically, can you work out so much that you can eat whatever you want? I think that's might be what you're saying. Um, so in general, what I would say is that when you exercise, you increase your metabolic rate, which might allow you to eat more calories to fuel your exercise if your body composition is optimized. So let's work this through. Um, let's say that you have a higher percent body fat than you would like and a lower lean muscle mass than you would like. You want more muscle, less percent body fat, in which case you can increase your exercise, specifically probably strength training to increase your muscle mass, thereby um, creating a higher metabolic rate so that you can burn off some of that percent body fat and get overall you know, leaner, you may actually weigh more under those circumstances. So don't look at your body weight, look at your lean muscle mass and your percent body fat. If you're trying to make adjustments to the way that your body works. Now, if you were to, um, do more cardio, for example, that might make you hungrier and you might eat more. And the danger with, with doing that is that if you do a lot more exercise and you increase the amount that you're eating at the same time, your body composition will not change. So it really depends on those two factors, right? We're looking at the amount of exercise that we're doing and the amount that we're eating and trying to tweak that to make sure we have great energy, incredible health, and that over time we optimize our body composition. And I think that if you're trying to optimize your body composition, doing that 
very, very slowly so that you gradually change over a long period of time is the way to make it stick so that you don't do yo-yo dieting, for example, which is really, really bad. Ultimately, with what we want to do is to create create a, a nutrition and eating pattern that we can maintain for a long time. Like, so when you're going to make a change to your nutrition or exercise for doing something you can do forever, right? That's what we're looking to try to accomplish. So, um, yeah, back to the question, maintain a high metabolic rate. So you can eat on average, more calories, maintain a healthy body. Basically it's workout more, but be careful because you can't outrun a bad diet just because you're working out more. Doesn't mean you need to get eat mean, doesn't mean that you get to eat junk, right? You're still trying to improve your nutrition at the same time. Uh, next question. There is conflicting info, meat, organ, meat, good for you versus meat is cancer causing. What are your thoughts? It depends on what the animal ate. So if you are eating an animal that was grain fed factory farmed and you eat those organs, that is incredibly bad for you. Uh, if you are eating, um, animal organ meats that you hunted, that you were eating grass and climbing mountains, like some of my friends who go up to Alaska to hunt elk once a year, then you're going to be getting incredibly health promoting um, foods uh, like meat from those animals. So it really depends on what your animal ate, which is why I think that uh, doing some research and finding a farm where you can buy meat from or a local butcher who's knowledgeable about where the food comes from and making sure that you're eating organic meat is one of the most important things that you can possibly do. Get away from the factory farmed, industrially industrial farmed uh, meat every chance that you get because those animals are fed really poor quality. They're not uh, foods. They're not allowed to move very much, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those are you know horrific for the planet as well. So um, we're looking for as organic as we can possibly get. And again, you need to do a little bit of research on that because just because it is labeled organic doesn't mean that it necessarily is. So talk to your butcher. Exactly the same thing goes for fish, farmed fish, generally pretty disastrous for your health and also for the environment. Wild fish um, tend to be quite health promoting when you, when you eat them. However, again, there's mercury and heavy metals that you need to be careful of. So just do some research. I think seawatch.org is a good place to go um, in order to look at sustainable fishing practices. And again, sustainable fishing is almost impossible to do. So there's a lot of nuances around that. It's not easy. Um, but again, lots of plants as organic as you can afford uh, meat, do some research as organic as you can afford fish wild. Um, and just, you know, not, not too much to avoid the heavy metals, especially the, like the, the shark or the swordfish, you know, avoid those ones. Um, shellfish actually is, is, is quite a good option for you, which you can explore. So all that stuff to consider. Whew, we're, uh, we're about halfway done. You guys are doing great. I hope this is helpful actually. So, um, we're gonna keep going. How about alcohol consumption? What's the right healthy consumption per week? So in general, there's no safe consumption level for alcohol. Uh, any alcohol whatsoever increases your cancer risk. So if you have cancer in your family, then you want to be very careful about the amount of alcohol that you are consuming and keeping it to as low a level as you possibly can. There's a little bit of research that shows that there might be a cardioprotective effect of alcohol, one or two drinks a day for prevention of cardiovascular disease. I don't buy that research. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it might be due to resveratrol from red wine, but in order to get the benefits from resveratrol, you'd have to drink so much red wine. 
um, to get the, get your resveratrol to a level that might make, um, a positive difference for you, which is why supplementing with resveratrol might be a decent idea to, to explore. Um, so in general, alcohol is, a, you know, if you want to have alcohol in your lifestyle, it's fine. Uh, I recommend confining it to the weekends, uh, make sure that, that you're not drinking very much, if at all during the course of the week, if you're interested in being a high performer at your job, a high performer in your exercise routines, um, it really has no place for anyone um, who's trying to be elite in anything that they're doing. But if you want to have a, a drink, you know, a beautiful glass of wine on the weekend fired up, that's, that's, that's fine. That's what, that's what I've landed on is like a couple drinks a week on the weekends uh, with a great meal. And that's where, where I've landed, but there's no safe consumption level overall for alcohol. Uh, next question is juice. Okay. If you're juicing fruits and vegetables yourself, um, it is as long as you keep the fiber in. So if you're juicing fruits and veggies and then pulling all of the pulp and fiber out and just drinking the juice, um, there's just so much sugar in that and it gets, you know, dropped into your blood in almost instantly. And there's a, an insulin response. We want to generally keep insulin levels constant in our diets. So, and our, our lives it's stable insulin levels as stable as possible. Wild swings and in insulin can be somewhat problematic. So if you're going to juice the fruits and veggies yourself, it's fine, but put the pulp back in, stir it up so that the fiber helps your body to digest that that juice slowly and keep the blood sugar levels a bit more constant, which is going to be a lot better for you. And by the way, fiber is incredible for you as well. So um, that's my take on that one. Next question. If you're pre-diabetic, is it okay to have fruits? Are there other fruits to eat than others? Other fruits to avoid? Um, I'm not going to comment on the pre-diabetic things. I, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot to that. And I'm a physiologist, not an MD, so I shouldn't comment on medical conditions. So I'm not going to deal with that one, but I will deal with the question. Are there other fruit, there are there fruits that are better to eat than others? And in general, what we're looking for is low glycemic index fruits because they're digested more slowly. So that would be berries versus melon, for example, which is very high glycemic. So just search low glycemic fruit, and that'll give you an indication of the what I think the better direction to go in. And I'm a huge fan of every type of berry because there's so much good evidence that berries are fantastic for your brain and contain a lot of compounds that are anti-cancer, for example. So big fan of those ones. Um, is it fine to have no caffeine in your diet? Of course, uh, totally fine to have no caffeine. No worries about that one whatsoever. Um, if you want to use it, use caffeine as a tool, not as a crutch, focus on caffeine timing. So it goes 30 to 60 minutes before a high performance event during the course day, which is a meeting, a presentation, a test, anything like that. Um, so you're trying to time your caffeine before your high performance moments, uh, rather than just using it blindly. Uh, Another question, what about natural sugars, maple syrup, honey, et cetera, in your diet food, coffee? Uh, we use a little bit of maple syrup and honey in our diet food, coffee. We just don't use, we, we just minimize it overall. And really the key, if you want to reduce sugars in your diet is just to get rid of processed foods out of your diet. So that would be like boxes of sugar, um, bags of bread, white rice, simple carbohydrates are what we're just looking to overall minimize, increase the fiber content of your diet, reduce the overall simple sugars, but we sweeten things with honey and maple syrup. Um, but we just try to keep it to less than 5% of our overall diet. It's extremely hard to do. Uh, 
especially once you realize just how much sugar is in everything that we consume, just look at the labels on your food. Um, if you're actually, and the, the game of course is to try to eventually be eating without any labels at all, because you're not eating anything that comes out of a box. But in, in general, a little bit of sugar from time to time is totally cool. We really do our best to avoid artificial sweeteners, um, which I think are pretty disastrous for health and well-being. All right, so that's part one of our Q&A. That's uh, one page, and we're just going to keep rolling. Let's go into part two. Here we go. Uh, this is about a bunch of stuff about exercise and sleep. Here we go. Uh, you mentioned working out during the day. Is there an optimal time? Well, it depends. So let's think about exercise here for a second. If you work out first thing in the morning, you increase brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which sparks the growth of new neurons inside your brain. So if you want to increase brain function throughout the day, the morning workout is awesome. The other benefit of working out first thing in the morning is it raises your metabolic rate and burns off some cortisol, which increases your chances of improving your body composition throughout the course of the day. The lunchtime workout is incredible if you want to get your afternoons back. If you find you have a slump in the afternoon, it's probably because your body temperature is dropping just a touch, which then sparks the release of melatonin, which makes you want to take a nap. So we call the lunchtime workout the second wind workout. Learned that from Robin Sharma uh, because it raises your body temperature and prevents the release of melatonin in the afternoon, which gives you your afternoons back if you're sluggish in the afternoons. The evening workout is incredible if you are experiencing a lot of stress because the evening workout will burn off the cortisol and adrenaline and epinephrine, norepinephrine, the hormones, the stress hormones, uh, enabling you to relax in the evenings and, and not carry forward that stress from the day into your evenings. If you had a rough day, do an afternoon or evening workout, and that is great. So morning is good for brain-derived neurotrophic factor and metabolism. Lunchtime is great for your second wind workout. Evening is great for reducing your overall stress. Um, next question. I use sleep hypnosis and adult bedtime stories found on YouTube to help me sleep. This is a good practice. What do you recommend? I mean, anything, if you're engaging with a device, then I don't think it's great for your sleep. And if you're doing sleep hypnosis, I've absolutely no experience with that whatsoever. So I don't know. So what I would recommend overall when it comes to your sleep is, and setting yourself up for good sleep is to build a one hour protocol that you run that defends your last hour from technology. And it, so whatever that happens to be, just make sure you can't access the internet, right? Like we're just looking to read a great book. We're looking to take a hot bath, do some yoga, do some meditation. And that will make such a massive difference for you when it comes to improving the quality of your sleep. Um, you know, there are some white noise, uh, white noise has been shown to improve sleep. So we have air purifiers in the bedrooms for our family. That's made a huge difference. I know that there's, um, some like eight to 10 hour YouTube videos that are up there that are just basically white noise background. So, I mean, that might work if you can get your device away from you and just listen to, to that throughout the night, if that might help. But in terms of um, those other uh, options, uh, like the sleep hypnosis, I have absolutely no idea. But the overall idea that we want to try to get to with all of you is you want to defend your last hour. All right. Um, is it healthy to listen to music, audiobooks, and podcasts to fall asleep? The overall idea behind the defend your last hour is to re reduce your activation level. If you're increasing your activation level, then it's going to be hard to sleep. If you're reducing your activation level, 
then it's going to be easier for you to fall asleep. In general, phones, tablets, computers, televisions increase your activation level. So we want to be getting away from technology. Um, podcasts, audiobooks, and music, it depends on what you're listening to. If you listen to ACDC or death metal, that's probably not going to help you to fall asleep. If you're listening to some light classical that you've heard many, many, many times before, and that's calming to you, that might actually help you to fall asleep. Uh, similarly with audiobooks, if it's a great story that sparks your dream state, then that might help you. If it's a book on economic theory and you're a banker, that probably won't help you to fall asleep, right? It's going to get your brain activated. So what we're looking for is to decrease activation and to calm down, not to increase our activation and get fired up. So that's how to play that one out. What kind of activity is best for slowing down our body and mind? How do you use exercise to relax? Two types of, of strategies there. By the way, we're almost done. You guys are doing incredible to still be here at this point of all of the questions. So anyway, um, two types of exercise are great for slowing the body and mind down. The first one is rhythmic, repetitive walking. So a long, slow, gentle walk, absolutely fantastic. The other one is yoga. And there's some yogas that are very activating and some yogas that are very calming and relaxing. So find a routine and a style of yoga that helps you to chill out. And that would be great. Ashtanga, for example, being one that's power yoga, it's very activating. Uh, and there's other types of yogas that are very gentle and long stretches and postures that relax the body. So you need to look into that a little bit more. Um, similarly, like going for a walk and doing power walking with weights in your hands, it's not going to help you to calm down. But if you go for a stroll at the end of the day outside in the park, it's probably going to help you to calm down. So that was helpful for hopefully helpful for you on that one. Um, what tips can you share about staying motivated, committed to making these small changes and forming these habits? A couple things for you, which I think are really powerful on that one. The first one with regards to motivation is that action precedes motivation motivation does not precede action. Uh, so basically what we want to try to think about is like a lot of people expect that, you know what, I'm going to find a way to get motivated. Then I'm going to work out. And it's actually the other way around. You do a workout, then you get motivated. And the question of course then is, well, how do I do that first workout? Well, you just got to do it. If you want to start working out just go do a workout. Um, I do, I, I'm like relentless with making things easy as well. Cause when you're tired, you don't want to do it. So having access to your shoes to go for a run, for example, really important. Um, if I want to work out in the morning, I will put all of my clothes and shoes out next to the bed. First thing. So when I wake up, put my feet on the floor, they literally hit my shoes and it's easy for me to throw on my shorts, throw on a t-shirt, throw on my shoes, you know, brush my teeth and then go for a run. You got to make it as easy as possible. Having said that, the more that you do, the more motivated you're going to get, because you're going to start to feel those benefits. You're going to start feeling the energy. Uh, and then you're going to want more of it, right? It's addictive. It's actually, it, it feeds on itself. So remember action precedes motivation. The more you do, the more motivated you're going to become and start with the smallest, tiniest amount that you can imagine. So let's say you were like, going to start exercising this year. Um, most people go to the gym and go for an hour, right? I'd be like, go for a five minute walk. Just Figure out getting your shoes on, getting out the door, going around the block once and come home done and do that for like three weeks. Guess what? Inevitably, you're not going to stop at five minutes at three weeks. You're going 15 minutes. 
in six weeks, you're going to be going for 20 minutes. In, in, in six months, you might be going for half an hour and then you win. So micro changes consistently over time is how you do this. And I come from a background of coaching Olympic sport and the five hours a day training plan, right? And I used to be very dogmatic about like heart rate zones and strength versus cardio. And now I'm just like, just move your body, literally just move your body. That's all you need to do to get 95% of the benefits. If you're trying to win a medal at the Olympics, obviously you need to be a bit more specific than that. But for the vast majority of us, we just need to move every day and you get all of the, all these benefits. Um, in terms of staying committed to making these small changes and forming these habits, uh, one of the things that has made the biggest difference for me is two. The first one is Judith and I talking through our nutrition at home and really <clears throat> over a very extended period of time, we're talking years getting on the same page when it comes to eating because Judith loves to bake. And if I look at a scone, I gain weight. So it didn't work. That wasn't working for us for a long time. So we've sorted that out. We've gradually become more organic. We've gradually become more plant-based and I'm not vegetarian. I eat meat, I eat fish. Um, but we're sort of just gradually getting better and better and better at that. So get on the same page as the people in your home, follow the pull, don't push principle. And eventually that will get better. The second thing when it comes to exercise is to form a small group of people. In my case, it's six of my buddies and we text each other every time we do a workout. So we've created a WhatsApp group and um, we just text each other whenever we do a workout and we're actually switching to signals so that they can't monitor and serve us ads on um, Facebook or wherever else we happen to be on the internet. Uh, do you do the monitoring of WhatsApp? Uh, although anyway, so not getting into cybersecurity right now. Anyway, we've moved to Signal and we send each other text messages every time that we've done a workout. We send pictures of our workouts. We send videos from our workouts. And when you've got five of your friends constantly messaging you about working out, guess what? You wanna go out and do a workout too. So that's making a huge difference. We call that the Navy SEAL team. Build a little Navy SEAL team for yourself around what it is you want to accomplish, text each other, get people on board. And even that group took a long time, right? When we first did it, there was only two of us and we got a third person to join then a fourth person. And it was sort of back and forth as to whether or not everybody was on the same page. It's been probably three years now. And after three years, we are all training consistently at a high level, making progress, getting fitter. And it's awesome. So this is not anything that happens fast. Like Judith and I took years to sort out our nutrition at home. Uh, my buddies and I have taken years to sort out our lives so we can train effectively all the time. So that's a couple strategies for you. Talk to the people at home, talk to your friends, build a Navy SEAL team, build your environment, build your support system, make your environment one where people are healthy and well. And the more of that type of an environment you're in, the easier it is for you to stay committed. Next question. We've only got a couple more. You guys are doing great. Actually, there's three more questions. So you're doing awesome. Stay with me. What do people tell you are their biggest blockers to taking your advice on slowing down to speed up? And what do you suggest to help overcome these? Um, the biggest blocker is culture. That could be culture at home, culture in the world, in society, and culture at work. So we know that slowing down changes the state that your brain is in. And if you want to just hustle, 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 go, 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 that's fine, but you'll get burned out and super stressed and sick. And it limits what your brain is capable of doing. If you're in hustle, 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 go, go, go mode, that's fine, but you can't learn. 
if you're in hustle, 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 go, go, go mode, it's fine. You're getting stuff done, but you're not going to be creative. You're not going to solve any problems. And so slowing down enables you to actually speed up overall in your life because your creativity is going to increase. Your learning is going to increase. And so we need to just like starting exercise, you start with the smallest amount possible. When it comes to slowing down to speed up, you start with the smallest amount that you can. It might be 20 minutes at the end of the day to read a book. It might be 10 minutes first thing in the morning to meditate. It might be a 10 minute walk at lunch. And then eventually you'll start to capture back time during your day to rest, refocus and recharge, the title of my book, <laughs> which will then open up more possibilities to your brain functioning differently so that you have a better overall health, well-being, and performance ability. So micro changes consistently over time enable you to gradually claw back your time in a world where slowing down to speed up is not valued in our society, in most workplaces, and often in our homes as well. So calmness wins over time. It's been a huge growth area for me because I'm pretty type A, as you might've noticed in all of these podcast episodes. Um, two more questions to go. Do you have any opinions on polyphasic sleep patterns? Do you think companies should work to make working hours more flexible to accommodate for these patterns? So polyphasic sleep, um, let's, there's three different styles of sleep, I guess you could think about. One is you go to bed, you sleep for hours, eight hours, you wake up. Another one is you go to bed, you sleep for four and a half hours or six hours. Then sometime later in the day, you take a nap for an hour and a half. And that's the sort of the, the, two, the sleep twice a day pattern, sort of the Mediterranean style, right? And then there's a third pattern, which is you sleep 20 minutes every four hours. Um, that's polyphasic. And although you can perform at an extraordinarily high level uh, with that strategy, it's been used extensively in military operations to enable people to stay awake for four, five, six days in a row and keep performing. But you do have to take that 20 minute power nap every four hours. And it's gotta be very, very tightly controlled because the second you miss a nap, your performance collapses. So not a fan of polyphasic sleep when it comes to long-term performance or health. Um, if you're a special forces soldier and you need to work um, in an operations for six days straight, then I'm a huge fan of it. Otherwise, for the rest of us, definitely not. I am a huge fan of naps. I think the research is quite clear that naps, 20-minute power naps or 90-minute full sleep cycle naps are beneficial for health and well-being. And I think that companies that allow people to take a 20 minute power nap during the course, they are progressive and are following the research. And I think that people should absolutely do that. Um, Deloitte Consulting, one of my clients has a whole row of nap pods in one of their buildings in downtown Toronto on the third floor, facing out over the lake from downtown. And it's amazing. I think that's fantastic. And I think that's a good strategy that's evidence-based and more companies should absolutely do that. We should celebrate and facilitate recovery and regeneration so people can perform at their best rather than just driving people as hard as we can throughout the course today, thinking that that's the answer and how we're going to become successful. So that's how I think about that. Um, last question. What do you think about the benefits of micro breaks compared to tra tra traditional one hour breaks? Do you think having shorter breaks increases our productivity? So overall we have, circadian rhythms, right? We sleep at a certain time of day. We're awake for a certain time of the day. There's times during the day when you're hungry, um, all sorts of different times during the day where you're energized and you can focus other times when you're a bit more relaxed. 
the game I think is for us to figure out and journal a little bit, track your energy levels during the course of the day, and then start to align your tasks to those times during the day when you're either energized or you're a little bit more um, calm. So like when you're energized, for example, that's when you want to do the meeting. And when you're calm, maybe that's when you want to do the reading and learning. And then within that, we need to recharge because you can't just simply go, go, go all the time. And there's some um, interesting ideas around humans having uh, micro rhythms during the course of the day that could be anywhere from 20 minutes to 90 minutes long. And I've heard a lot of people talk about the 90-30 pattern of 90 minutes of work, 30 minutes of recovery. Uh, but I've searched for the research on that there's, and I've found zero. But what I have found is that obviously humans are do very well when they do a period of work, but then a period of deep recovery. And, and you can then keep working or doing whatever it is that you're doing at a high level throughout the course of the day. So whether it's 90-30, 75-15, 45-15, 20 and 10, all we want to be doing is building into our days periods of world-class performance and periods of world-class recovery and regeneration. And when you cycle those two things, your performance stays high, your health stays high, we get better over time instead of getting burned out over time. So that's probably a good place to, to finish and to um, wrap up all of these. So thank you everyone for your questions. It's incredible. Uh, keep them coming. It's so much fun. And very, very different from what we normally, you know, normally do. But uh, it's just, it's, it's great to connect with you and to keep the conversation going. Any further questions? Uh, message me on LinkedIn, uh, DM me on Instagram, and we'll do more of these in the future.